a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A Gentle Thief, written and performed by Amanda Dixon. Episode 7. In Episode 6, Attorney Sophie Brownlee is in the office when she meets with the only other female in her office to console her after she'd had an argument with the senior partner, Rick Day. Rick comes to her office and says we need to have a phone conversation with Ike Johnson. And they go and speak with Ike about the case involving the death of his daughter, Maddie Johnson, On that phone conversation, Sophie explains that she's been through all of the materials and they talk about how they're going to try and do their best to convince the Utah State Medical Examiner to change the death certificate from suicide to homicide. That's where we left it after Episode 6 and now Episode 7 of A Gentle Thief. November 1983. When Maddie told Robert she couldn't be married to him anymore, he didn't argue. He frowned, nodded his head absently, and left, only to come back later and pack his things when she was gone. She would have preferred being the one to leave, throwing her few clothes and books into the back of her SUV and just go, but it was her house. For a time, she actually considered letting him have it. Maddie sensed her husband had been suspicious that this day would come, possibly from the beginning. Her life with Robert was Shakespearean tragedy, eloquent and brief and doomed. But he regretted nothing, or so he told her in the note he left behind near the wine glasses he had purchased for her as a wedding present. Maddie filed for divorce in October. She would have filed sooner, but that was the quickest the lawyer could draw up the paperwork. She was incapable of hesitation, like a skeet shooter after he hears the call to fire. Pull! Once Maddie decided to end her marriage, she had wanted it done that day. She would have stopped to get a divorce on the way home from the grocery store if it had been possible. She suggested to Robert that they share a lawyer. He agreed. They had not been together long enough to acquire any possessions to speak of as a couple— There were no jointly owned homes or stocks or even album collections, and there were no children. They simply took what they came with. Maddie began to realize she was not someone who wanted to put down roots. She didn't want this house or the one at the end of the drive. She wanted only air and light. She found herself utterly uninterested in food— She would forget to eat for whole days, and when she did finally think of it, had difficulty swallowing anything but ice cream. She actually liked the lightheadedness that came with hunger. It seemed to match her mood. The feeling felt most pronounced when Khan was there, which was often. They had been together, or at least in the same room, most of the time since the day after Robert moved out. 
Sometime back in September, she had taken to driving past the radio station after school let out, looking for his Jeep. She liked just knowing where he was. It felt like an addiction. Seeing his Jeep was her fix. It would make her feel better, but only for a short while before it turned sick and discolored. The day Robert moved out, she put a note under Con's windshield wiper. He's gone. It took weeks, but Maddie finally managed to tell her mother about the divorce. She hadn't seen the point in telling her sooner. She knew what her mother would say. What? What are you talking about? Of course I was opposed to the idea of your getting married in the first place, but what God has joined together let no man put asunder. Her mother preached without waiting to hear anything Maddie was prepared to say. Yes, I know, Mom, but I fell in love. There's no explaining it, okay? It just happened. I don't understand. What business did you have falling in love with another man? You are a married woman. Actually, not anymore. Madeline, what are you talking about? You couldn't have gotten a divorce already. Yes, I did, Mom. You didn't even have time to tell me you were having problems. You're as bad as your father. When did all this start? Have you been talking to your dad about this? Did he tell you to get a divorce? You know better than to take his advice on anything, especially if it has to do with commitment. He has nothing to do with this. Why are you always bringing him up? How is Robert taking all of this? You know he may just understand you well enough to see that this is some sort of temporary insanity brought on by your immaturity and the bad influence your father has been on you. If you apologized and told him, Mom, you're not listening to me. I'm in love. You have no idea what love is. Oh, and I suppose you do, she assaulted her mother. I can see there's no use talking sense to you, as usual. I just hope you don't wind up alone and pregnant and thinking I can fix this for you, because I can't. You're just going to have to clean up your own mess this time. Her mother cradled the phone to her right ear and started smearing mayonnaise on bread to make a sandwich. Your father has left me with nothing and no way to dig you out of a mess or even take care of myself. I wish you had the common sense to at least... I have to go, Mom. Maddie could feel the tears of expectation stinging her eyes. After all these years, she was amazed that she still hoped her mother would be someone she was not. I love you, she added too softly for her mother to hear as she hung up the phone. When she thought about it, which was nearly constantly. She couldn't decide whether these last weeks with Khan had flown by or dragged on endlessly. It felt like both. She had a hard time articulating her feelings in her journal or even in her head. When she and Khan were holding hands or looking into each other's eyes, she felt like she might float off the earth. And when they were sitting together after work trying to talk about the day... It was bad sitcom reruns, boring and predictable, dead without the laugh tracks. So why did she feel like she couldn't be without him? She couldn't answer her own question. But she knew from the first time she cried, and he responded by rooting around in the pantry, asking her if she had any relish, that she had made a grave mistake. Thanksgiving was last week, and Maddie had offered to make a turkey and invite her neighbors, Junior and his girlfriend, over for a late afternoon feast. She wanted them to formally meet Con, not just the awkward wave on the way out the drive. She had wanted them to see what she saw in him, how magical he was. Plus, she wanted to watch Con interact with someone she liked as much as Junior. 
She would have liked to invite Junior and not Beth, but she couldn't be that impolite. As it turned out, it didn't matter anyway. No thanks, was all Con said. What do you mean, no thanks? Maddie pressed him. I just don't feel like eating a big meal with a bunch of people I don't know and don't care to know. That's all. It's no big deal. Wait a minute. First of all, it's not a bunch of people. It's two people, and they're my neighbors. And it is a big deal to me. I want to feel a little family on Thanksgiving, don't you? Oh, that's funny. You want to feel a little family. You, who never says one word about your family except for the snide comment or two you've made about your father... All right. I suppose I could put on a happy face and pretend to be interested in your neighbors so you can feel at home. Okay, okay, you win. Just stop talking, Maddie shouted in the out-of-control voice she heard erupting from her throat more frequently these days. You are the cruelest man I have ever known. No, Maddie, I'm the most honest. They're not the same thing. Maddie found herself staring more and more at the space where her life used to be. She needed to move, to walk some sense into her life. Regularly after an aching phone conversation with Khan, she would venture out into the cold dusk air toward Main Street. She marched down the hill, taking the steps too quickly, risking falling in her determined haste. She didn't care. She heard a car of teenagers pass her. They were talking loudly and listening to something on the radio. As she approached Main Street, she saw the recently hung Christmas lights in the local shops. They pulled her heart closer to the ground. Maddie stopped obsessing about Thanksgiving, only when something worse happened, which didn't take long. She learned something last night about Khan that had cut her. He had a child. He had a child he didn't have any contact with or interest in. He had been married once, ten years earlier, to a woman in Bountiful, Utah, a small suburb to the north of Salt Lake City. He lived there with his wife in her father's house, and they had a daughter in 1974. She would be nine years old now, and the last time Khan had seen her was when she was five, and that was by accident. He paid no child support. He sent no birthday cards. He admitted to having a daughter casually in the middle of an unrelated argument. Why are you even thinking of going home for Christmas? How can you call that home? Those people don't even know you. Khan was angry that she had suggested they both go to Pennsylvania to meet her parents for the holiday and made it clear he had no intention of joining her. Don't you even want to see your family, Khan? I mean, where are your parents? You never talk about them. I don't even know where they live. That's because they're dead. Maddie caught her breath. Oh, I'm so sorry. She sat down next to him and touched him on the knee. I didn't know. Why didn't you ever tell me? Because they're not actually dead. They're just dead to me, like yours should be to you. Maddie's breath was starting to be labored. What did they do to make you cut them off like that? She asked wondering how anyone could be worse than her own parents, and she hadn't cut them off. Then she felt a shudder of fear that she could commit some similar sin without knowing it and be cut off from Khan as well. They, he started, they, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't even see my kids, so why would I want to see my parents? Your own kid? 
Maddie asked in shock, her expression caught in a cage. You have a child? Yeah, a daughter. She ought to be like eight or nine now, I guess. He was as nonchalant as a gun firing accidentally. You don't know how old your daughter is? How, what, how could you not tell me you had a child? Her mouth was stuck open like a baby bird's. He shrugged and went to the kitchen to pour juice in a glass. He tossed the empty jug into the garbage can underneath the sink. It never came up. She let him walk back into the room and pick up the remote control before she released. What kind of a monster are you? Apparently the kind you like. Maddie wanted to throw up, to get up, to move, to go to the bathroom or the bedroom or the moon, but she couldn't seem to get her legs to bend. She sat motionless for several minutes, vaguely aware of Khan's channel surfing, crying without any feeling other than the increasing wetness on her face. If she couldn't go herself, she wanted to tell him to leave, but she was incapable of speaking. She gazed over at the big picture window that looked out onto the lane in front of her house. She could see Junior's light on and his truck in the driveway. Humanity seemed so close. She imagined she was a bird crashing into the big window from the inside, banging painfully against the glass again and again, trying to get out. She didn't notice Khan get up from the chair or turn off the TV. She only felt the cold draft when the door opened and closed. Then she heard the sound of his jeep starting. Only then did her body start to shake. She felt convulsions of pain, wave after wave, and struggled to breathe. She heard the words of prayer in her mind as if someone else was speaking them. Dear God, the words came, can you hug me? Is there something you can do? I know you can part the sea and raise the dead, but... Can you hug a frightened girl in Utah who's lost her way? Can you make me feel like I'm not alone just for a minute? Please? A softness began to creep into the sharp pain. She closed her eyes with the expression of a young girl waiting for a kiss and held her arms up, up, and into the air above her, with no doubt she would be embraced by the outstretched arms of God, strong and warm and long enough to reach her. And then she waited. <laughs> 